Hello and welcome to episode 219 of What Most People Think. And in the words of, I think it might have been Anchorman, that escalated quickly. <laughs> Last week, I spoke briefly about my politics live appearance and thought, you know, done and dusted, lessons learned, and it got, it got, well, it got so much bigger. It, it snowballed. I don't even know if there's a sort of metaphor beyond sort of snowballing, but it did seem to go from a a, a, a sort of surprising and perplexing discussion on a politics show to the potential cancellation of an entire news channel. So on that note, I'm going to bring in Andrew Doyle, who is uh, this week's co-host. Um, yeah, it, it was. Did you, did you feel at any point last week like GB News was going was to um, get well, cancelled? Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're the seed that sort of precipitated the growth of this sprawling tree, aren't you? Am I, I suppose. Maybe. You know, like some of the real genuine alt-right guys, they say that I'm a sleeper cell for the woke. I started thinking, <laughs> maybe I am. By the time Fox no. and Wood had gone, I was thinking, Jesus, maybe I'm. Maybe it's me. I think it. I think it's more accidental. I th- like um, if I'm thinking about it. It's like, do you know the end? Do you know the sequel to Village of the Damned? Do you know that story about the aliens that inhabit all the children in the in the village? Yeah. There's a sequel where all the children end up in the church. And someone knocks, one of the military guys knocks over a screwdriver and it hits a button and it ends, basically ends in everyone dying. And the final shot of the film is just focusing on this screwdriver. And the idea is that like, like mad, insane things happen just by little accidents. And you are the screwdriver in that situation. Oh my God, I I'm the screwdriver. Would well, you know the screwdriver yeah. took it to such strange places at one point? Because it just kept getting shared, the clip. And then obviously the, the big issues is if it gets shared in the US. So I then ah, had yeah. these kind of good God-fearing Christian women uh, from Tennessee d- uh, DMing me on Instagram who just wanted to make me pies, mainly. They just right. wanted... That's the nicest thing to have come out of all of this. Yeah, it, yeah you know, I did feel that it was slightly conditional, though. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Um, we are gonna be we're gonna be talking this week. We're gonna be getting a bit back onto um, politics, and we will be discussing a bit of uh, men's mental health stuff in the second half. But this is what most people think. It's a show that is trying desperately to just to just plant, plant its flag, not in the center of political opinion, but in the center of just your average person's uh, take on on things generally. Um, my book, of course, I've got to plug that shamelessly. There was a point last week. Uh, so this is this is the truth. Is I've got new. Uh, new tour dates out and they were added on Friday but I, I didn't promote them because how the fuck would that have looked doily if I just like oh that's right <laughs> this is you, you can got no a second promote guessing. anything without people thinking you engineered the entire thing well this that's would the... be it and people would just be saying like he's, he's sort of making money off the back of suicide I think that that would have been some people's take so um I, I do have I will mention those uh, new dates later in the show but um, the book is out and, and people seem to be enjoying it. We've just got a few more five-star reviews on Amazon. I should name-check people. Uh, that was Amazon Customer, uh, someone called uh, Matthew McDermott, Amazon Customer, ABC Warrior 01, uh, Glenn, Paul. If you put your names, I'll give you a shout-out. Einstein and Dean Watson. What a fucking solid bloke name that is, Dean That's Watson. Solid bloke. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a bit, this reminds me a little bit of when I, I I I scheduled that comedy unleashed show in Edinburgh, and that got cancelled because Graham Linehan was on the bill, and then our second venue got cancelled, and we ended up having to do it in front of the Scottish Parliament. I've had so many people, including people in the media, say I engineered the whole thing, I planned the whole thing because, mm. of course, then the next comedy unleashed show is all sold out within like twenty four hours. Uh, people assume I did this. I'm not that kind of Machiavellian. None of us are that no. Machiavellian. Are you know, no, if I if I was able, right, if I was able to engineer the, the whole of event, the events of last week with a view to suddenly getting five new dates on sale. I mean, like the, the the churn and the rate at which the comedy world works in terms of getting new dates up, getting the links up and stuff like that. So so the weird exactly. kind of net effect, poor, poor me, is that I haven't been able to promote my new dates yet, but I will certainly be be whoring them out. Can you say that whoring? Well, the sex working them out shamelessly as... as <laughs> <laughs> prostituting is probably the more dignified way of is that is that what is that word all right now because i suppose prostitute is seen as a a negative isn't it i mean i think if you use it as as a verb to describe uh selling something for money it can be used that's not not even necessarily to do with sex 
I mean, the thing is, is it implies that it's a negative. I think if you ask what most people think, they would think that if that's the point that you're at, it wouldn't, it definitely wouldn't be a fucking positive, would it? I mean, it wouldn't, there are some people that I'd imagine are career prostitutes that sort of want to do that for their own reasons. I think for most people, there's other career options they might have looked at. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I... I did have a friend who used to say that we're all prostitutes because we all do things for money we don't want to do. And I, I have to say, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. But but there's an element of that, isn't there, in all of I mean, I worked in a call centre and I'll be honest, I didn't want to work in a call centre. So I suppose for that period of time, I was a whore. Is there sexual <laughs> stuff that you'd have rather done for money than work in the call centre? Low level. Absolutely. Yeah, me I too. I, 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 yeah. I, I think that there's there's corporate gigs I've done in the past where if you'd have come to me in the lonely hotel room where you sort of iron your shirt and get ready beforehand and said, if you just have to just get get someone off right right now and it will take about five to ten minutes, you can go home. I'd, yeah. pro- I'd probably take it. I would probably take I it. I would have taken and that. Take it's the, the wrong cor- phrase, isn't it? I mean, or the right <laughs> phrase. Well, I, I would have done that at the corporate gig I did in Leeds to a group of bouncers. I would have done that. That was a horrible gig because they, they'd been getting drunk all day. Yeah. And they were not interested in, in comedy. They just wanted to drink more. And uh, they actually booed the first act off, completely booed him off. And I had to follow that. So, yeah, I would have. I think a quick hand job in the toilet at Nando's would have been preferable to that. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, there's 11, not, not the whole audience. That no, no, just one. Yeah. No, I mean... Well, I don't know if I can quantify Three. this in the way that you're asking. Three. Uh, let's say half a dozen and leave it there. I, I can't go beyond <laughs> half a dozen, I don't think. However <laughs> skillful I might well, be. I do think that we've we've illustrated in quite a blunt way that old uh, Oscar Wilde quote, was it? We've established what you are, and we, we, we literally went straight on to haggling about the price. <laughs> New Patreons, uh, board member. Just remember the board member level. Now, I have been in discussions with the board this week about changes that are upcoming to how we do this podcast and uh, benefits for the patrons. And trust me, it is all going to get better. We have just run the monthly payment run, so do check uh, to make sure that your account is still active because my friend Nigel Foster, I don't know what Patreon have got against having his money, but every every month I see that guy's name crop up where he has to re-establish his account five times. So do check uh, to make sure that is uh, still active. Uh, Paul Sharp. Paul Sharp is a good, is a good name, isn't it? It does feel like so he's a new VIP. So I'd like to welcome with with a very sort of like well a, a little glass of sparkling stuff, which he'll know deep down isn't really champagne. It's probably pomade. Paul Sharp. I just think of Pat Sharp. I think of that look. Yes. You know, woo, woo. Pat Sharp. Yeah. Uh, Paul Paul Sharp is a very. It's one of those sort of eighties names where you sort of felt yeah. like once the eighties finished, people had to chat. All the Waynes and the Martins just had to. <laughs> Had, had to sort of had rebrand. To go for, yeah, go to deed poll and sort it out. We've also got new patrons, Don, just Don. Um, you know, like, um, you know, in the Mafia, they'll call them like Don Hector and yeah, Don, I'm Don just Corleone. basically Don Corleone. I mean, that is like a standard way that people in the Mafia name themselves. I wonder if, were there ever English Dons, like Don Gavin and Don Don Don? Don, Don? <laughs> yeah, Don, Don, Steve doesn't really work does it you need the italianate name to sound menacing and that sounds xenophobic and it, i don't mean it to no 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 think... also the way that the vowels roll don corleone sounds really good yeah don exactly. gavin <laughs> yeah although isn't corleone the well corleone is actually that he's named after the, the village he originates from but really it's the surname isn't it don corleone because he used that as his surname so it'd be more like mm. don don smith don... or, or... <laughs> You know, well, it'd be more like now, that. now it just literally sounds like a bloke called Donald Smith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've also got Ian G. Ian G is one of those. I think Ian G was a a member of a nineties dance pop dance pop act that never really stuck around. I think Ian G. He was yeah, he was sort right. of like a, a sort of poor man's age from Steps. Um, Domain talking point. So uh, David Domain, our super patron, who gets back to us on a variety of issues from the previous week. Uh, he he mentions, oh, he throws in a couple of things, actually. A fact is that 94% of workplace deaths in 21-22 were male. So another one of, the, you know, the, 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 the male lobby. I don't know if I'm going to sort of accidentally find myself at the heart of this thing. But he also talks more specifically about the reason that government won't ban cigarettes outright. Because tobacco duty receipts alone in the UK amounted to approximately £10 billion during the 2022-23 tax year. 
And that's before you factor in the taxes on the tobacco companies themselves. Full fact estimates that smoking costs the NHS three to six billion each year. So horrid habit as it is, it's a nice money spinner from the Treasury. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, haven't they banned it outright for in New Zealand or Australia for anyone under a certain age? The idea being that the next generation will never get addicted to smoking. And I think, isn't Rishi considering it here? Well, that- yeah, that's that's what we spoke about last week in a way. But I, my view very much with human nature is that is that that desire to do bad stuff or to feel better through substances. I, I don't know if you really ever extinguish it completely. So you could ban smoking, but I, I think that, that that desire would attach itself to, to something else probably. And also, you know, vaping among young people, you could, they wouldn't give a shit, most of them. Most of them aren't smoking tobacco. So this is—I yeah. I don't know who this is—who this is for, really. I don't know who this well, also, particular benefit. Well, there's the moral implication: should we anyway be banning what adults choose to do with their own bodies? I don't, I don't think that should happen at all. But on the other hand, it kind of feels like if we were in a situation where alcohol did not exist, we would not want to introduce alcohol into society. That wouldn't happen. But now it's no. here. It's it's here. It, you can't you can't yeah, yeah. put the toothpaste back in that tube. Basically, I don't think. And same with smoking. But do you think that maybe like viewing it in a quasi-religious way that that humans were born with certain frailties and there was always going to be something that would come and be the most popular? I mean, to me, smoking always seemed it seems to address people who have a, a frequent need throughout the day to just calm themselves in in a sort of relatively mild way, really. Uh, whereas yeah, alcohol. They, they... Yeah, they feel, but they feel calm even by just taking this thing out of the packet. It's more a psych- psychosomatic yes. thing, isn't it? It's, it's more a kind of comfort blanket. It's like having a comfort blanket. It's like lioness, you know. Well, no, I suppose the ritual eventually, because of the because the, what, what they sort of forget, you'll get with a lot of smokers that eventually they'll say, "I actually enjoy smoking," and and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you do, but it's, you don't really enjoy the act. You've just learned to associate the act with the with the feeling, I guess. Maybe, but then you could say the same about alcohol. I actually do enjoy the taste of wine for instance very much yeah so but have you just uh, associated that with it with if you're really thirsty you yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't reach for a fucking pinot noir would you i i i, I would i probably would <laughs> what most okay we're just gonna do a quick thank you and a fuck you here the thank you is just look in the aftermath of what happened last week i had a lot of people reach out in two ways really uh one is people from mental men's mental health charities across the country and there is so much there's so much good work being done locally, which is what was interesting. So if you are struggling or, you know, you're having a tough time, just Google male mental health near me. And I promise you there's going to be something quite close and you can, it's not about, you know, anything dramatic. It's just about, do you want to feel a bit better than you do? It might not be that you're, you know, contemplating suicide. You might just have had a tough couple of years. So if you, if you do that, I promise you from what I've seen, there's a lot of good work happening. And then um, I sort of had so many people reaching out with their stories, Andrew, of what, of what you know, their experiences in direct sort of relation to male suicide, you know, men and women. And it was, it was it's, it's overwhelming, you know, in, in a sort of humble way. Like I've, I've never, I'd never considered, I knew numerically the scale of it, but like with most things, once you put small stories on these things. So I just think like everyone that, that, that um, reached out, it really has made me realise that, that there's a responsibility now for me to do something with this. So I... I just want to reassure people I am going to do something positive. I'm already speaking to, obviously I can't work with all the charities, but there are a couple of big umbrella charities I'm going to work with. And a, a fundraiser is something I can, you know, uh, you know, as a conservative on some level, the one thing I think is you can't do anything without sound money. So I'm going to uh, be involved in a fundraiser and stuff. So, so um, watch this space. Sorry if that, see I'm now, now I'm in, into the position where I might end up, I might end up virtue signaling, Andrew. I might have to. This is the no, path that because, the Lord has chosen for me. Well, no, because you would no, you've you've ended up in a situation where you will be accused of virtue signaling, but that doesn't mean you are virtue signaling. I mean, this is you know, to virtue signal it means that you 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 don't really care about it. You're just saying it to get points, but mm. that's not the case in this case. You actually do care about it and you want to do something about it, and it's really important. So I don't think it can qualify as virtue signaling, but beware, you will get the accusation no matter what you do. No, I will, and and I suppose I suppose I I would contest that this is arguably the truest kind of of christianity in a way is because i'm doing this reluctantly and accidentally in many ways 
Because <laughs> last week I had people like tweeting and saying, Jeff, I just want to, I just want to say, I really support your campaign. And I was like, wow, it's already a campaign. It's, it, it's yeah. you know, a conversation that happened on the show. This is what I, this is how I sort of want to think about what happened last week. Is obviously there was murky elements with what people were saying in various fields and stuff. But ultimately, you know, may, maybe some, maybe some good could come, uh, come of it. All right, let's do the fuck you. What's your fuck you this week, Andrew Doyle? It's going to be ACAS, uh, which is a government organization. And uh, there's a guy called Sean Corby who was working for them. And uh, he won his tribunal this week. And what happened was he'd put, uh, during the, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter, the explosion of summer 2020, you know, when everything went, 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 went really uh, global, uh, they were having discussions about systemic racism on Yammer, you know, that internal thing within workplaces. And he'd made the point that he doesn't feel that critical race theory, the idea of a... assuming that racism is the default and that white people are inherently racist he said that is a divisive thing that we shouldn't be doing and he specifically said what we should be doing is following martin luther king's notion of 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 judging people by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin as a result of that some other employees accused him of being a racist a white supremacist um uh, for supporting martin luther king basically um and acas failed to stand up to him and in the end he had to take it to a tribunal which he won this week. Now, the reason that's significant is because it is now enshrined in law that opposition to critical race theory is a belief that is protected under the Equality Act. Mm-hmm. Really key. So so all of these people who have been fired for saying, hang on a minute, maybe critical race theory is actually making society more racist rather than less. Maybe Martin Luther King was right. I mean, imagine this idea that these employees were effectively saying to this guy who's married to a black woman who has mixed race children, that he is a white supremacist because he supports Martin Luther King. That's effectively what it comes down to. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, I guess that the moment he says, well, I'm married to a black w- woman, there's often that that tendency. Like if you said like one of my best friends is black, like people often say, well, that doesn't mean anything. And you go, um, I think it means something at the very least. Like say you, yeah. say you were taken to court and tried for being a racist, if that was a thing. I would think yeah. that that would come up uh, definitely as part of your defence, that I married and, and spent my life with and had and had mixed-race children. You'd think, like, at the very least, it wasn't irrelevant. No, and you'd have to be very, very scheming to plan all of that, you you know, to think, I'm going to marry a black woman and, and, and reproduce uh, in case in 30 years' time I get accused of racism in the workplace. I mean, that's commitment. To that at that thing, point, you just go, go, look, whatever you were trying to do, can we just give a round of applause for the fucking long <laughs> game here? Um, the thing about him was he, he was on my show the other night and he was genuine. You could tell how upsetting that accusation was. Mm. Like, that's the other thing about it. That, that, that is a ge- it's a, an upsetting accusation anyway and is thrown around far too casually. But for someone who just hasn't got a racist element to his, his soul and who mm. not only that thinks racism is a deep evil and who was making an anti-racist point, for him to be accused of racism, having to take it to a tribunal, this is absolutely insane. So I think ACAS deserve nothing but scorn for not standing up to him and doing so the, the right So thing. their job is is to mediate in these kind of disputes and, and they effectively just, just fumbled the ball. No, ACAS and... was just his employer. ACAS is just the employer. Oh, ACAS and, was and they, his employer. So yes, that, just... that's the arbitration service, right? Yeah, but the, he was working for this government uh, body. Uh, and well, that's I mean, that is fucking richly ironic. The arbitration service have uh, quite clearly not <laughs> wanted to arbitrate between anything and have just taken a sort of what they I mean, as is so often the case in this, they take what they think is a politically convenient and clean way out of it. They go, right, race is involved. That represents high jeopardy. When when yeah. there's high jeopardy, what's the easiest thing to do is basically cut off the limb effectively. Right. But also it's this thing of being too scared when the employees come up and say, we think our colleague is a white supremacist rather than say well you've got no evidence for that shut up they say okay okay well we'll get rid of him don't worry we'll get rid of him mm. same thing with Maya Force starter you know she had to take it all the way to the high court to the tribunal uh because she was basically dismissed for saying that there's there are two sexes I mean white supremacists is a really high bar to go in because I think for most people they'd be thinking about probably in terms of like KKK outfits you know some some right. weird Lynching. fucking sin- 
sin- yeah, some sinister kind of stuff around the, around the fight. It's such a high bar. Actually, you'd think it would make more sense to go in and say, look, we think this person is a closet racist or or some, something more plausible and easily provable. But white supremacy is Or, or is even really- just to say, you know, uh, we think that was clumsily phrased and it might have caused some offence and maybe he should apologise yeah. for that or something, which, by the way, is also ridiculous. Yeah. given what he said. But at least it would be a low bar. Exactly I'm, what you I mean, the only legitimate conviction they could have come to is that he was the shittest white supremacist that's ever lived. All right, we're going to get on to talking about it's Tory party conference week this week. So let's get, let's talk, let's talk all things Tory. Okay, so we did. This is going back a week, actually. Um, Suella Braverman out at speaking to a US right wing think tank, I think it was uh, in the states, whether it was in Washington or somewhere. She yeah. made a big speech about um, the issue of migration and illegal uh, immigration globally, really. And so there, we'll get on to some of the points of her speech first. Let's, so first up, let, let, let's pick up on the things that I, I wasn't comfortable with. There's a couple of things, really. One was like her quote in the 780 million number. That did feel, I've got this issue in public life of when people in positions of political authority try to scare the shit out of the public, They just like with Patrick Valance and his 50,000 deaths through COVID and stuff, they'll often just try and calibrate the highest possible figure. So you know, if her cause was to highlight this this tricky issue, I think that that worked uh, against it potentially. And you know, she also said multiculturalism has, has failed. Now there was a distinction here, with, which people sort of missed first up was to say that multiculturalism has failed isn't the same as saying that immigration has failed. Though you can you can understand the moment you use that phrase, you can almost war game the fact that it's going to get that kind of reaction. Yeah, but that's kind of happened deliberately, insofar as I think activists have. Uh you know, they've problematized the term in the way that they've done with woke and the way that they do with most terminology. Multiculturalism is a very specific meaning and an accepted consensus meaning in academic circles. And it is not what people are, how people have interpreted it. I think this is the problem is that I saw so many of the debates about this. And basically people are just arguing against themselves because they're all using different definitions of the same word. That you had people basically, there are people who think that multiculturalism means a society in which there are different ethnicities living together. That's the opposite of what multiculturalism means. Multiculturalism is the notion that uh, culture is prioritised over individuality. And so what en- you end up with uh, different cultural groups living in homogenous blocks where they don't interact and you have parallel societies. So actually multiculturalism is a racist concept. So the, but the fact that people think it means multi-ethnicity or something along mm. those lines... They're they're 100 flipping it backwards, and so that's. But so do you think she no would point. have anticipated what that phrase? And it's not to say she's totally responsible for the backlash, but do you think she would have sort of wargamed how that was likely to play out? Um, no, because I think. Well, look, did Angela Merkel do that? I mean, I can't help but notice that a lot of the people who are complaining about Suella Braverman's multiculturalism comments are the same who cheer on, you know, the EU and uh, you know Angela Merkel made pretty much an identical speech. Back she in did. 2011. Yeah, yeah, and uh, David Cameron used that that phrase as well. It, like, it's it's pretty much a consensus that if we all accept the shared typical definition of multiculturalism, most people accept that's a bad thing and that it's failed and that it, it, it in fact, creates racial division. So what, I suppose you could say, well, because the terms become so muddied with people misunderstanding it, uh, maybe she should have got, clarified her terms within the speech. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable point of view. Um, I don't think she was trying to... People are accusing her of dog whistles. I don't think she was trying to provoke anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, dog whistle, in a way, is one of those phrases now which, like, unsafe, is is kind of a way of of, of attracting a certain kind of attention to something, a a point of view that you find inconvenient. I mean, it is a point where... You know, one of those phrases where, you know, like gaslighting, like very few people think about the source of that phrase or the fact that it sometimes just means lying. There's definitely yeah. like, and or sometimes you just don't want someone to know the truth. So so it's, it's certainly a, a degree, I've been accused of, of dog whistle, you know, from, from my stand-up, but it almost feels like the phrase dog whistle is also a fucking dog whistle to get people to attack you. I mean, it literally yeah, performs, yeah. performs the action that people claim they've got a problem. It's meaning- it basically means, oh, we 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 wanted you to say something really objectionable, uh, but you didn't. So we're going to pretend that you signalled it instead. So you know, dog whistle. Yeah, at the very least, you you were too damn subtle. So uh, so here comes yeah. another wave. I mean, one of the things that she mentioned was about the fact that increasingly uh, the being gay and, and 
claiming you know persecution or discrimination is being used. And it was interesting to see that Gary Lineker come out came out quite vehemently against this and said, well, you know, how the hell can you tell if somebody's gay or not? Which he then got jumped on because a lot of people said, yes, Gary, that's the fucking point. You know, pointing out that to what degree... Look, I think everyone would agree that in, in, an, in a situation where if you say that you're something and it's not easily provable otherwise, yeah. that there will be a percentage of people who might abuse that. Now, whether that is 0.1%, 10%, 30%, that's what's up for debate. But I think the fact... I don't think that the idea that you could uh, abuse it is, is up for debate. And so people jumped on, on, on Gary Lineker. I mean, it, it is... If it wasn't such a serious subject, I mean, the idea of proving that you're gay, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, I, I don't I know mean, who, what, what the ministry for that. Is. It is, it, it, it does seem kind of funny, like, but, you know, if you go back a few decades, I mean, I heard some horrible stories about people, uh, asylum seekers proving that, having to prove they were gay insofar as the government wanted to see video footage, wanted to see pornography, you know, sexual inter, inter, intimacy, wanted them to prove that that was happening. That's going back a bit. Um, Jesus. So how do you, how do you prove it? How do you? Uh, I don't know. But then, but then the whole thing, like it is serious. But on the other hand, and gay people are horribly treated in certain countries around the world. On the other hand, as soon as Elton John gets involved, I just, I, do, I just think it becomes essentially comical, because you know, if Elton John's having a go at Suella, I mean, is it? Does Duran Duran have to make a comment now? And and you know, I, I just kind of it well, just you know, feels... it's funny on, on the Sky News story. They said Elton John, the Rocket Man singer. I always think it's funny when somebody <laughs> famous they have to remind you of other stuff that they're famous for. I thought I don't think in this situation, if you've got Elton John, who pretty much most people on the planet know who he is, talking about uh, gay issues, which most people on the planet know that he is. I don't think you need to remind people Elton John uh, of uh, Saturday Night's All Right for fighting fame. Uh, and he said uh, nearly a third of all nations class LGBTQ plus people as criminals and homosexuality is still punishable by death in 11 countries. So, yeah, I mean, those are those are things that we need to remain mindful for. It, again, it's this issue that the left sometimes seem to grasp with is like you can accept all the, the tricky moral areas of this, go, but it doesn't change the fact that there's a problem in this system, potentially, right? And does yeah. anyone have, have an answer? Like, say, for example, over the next three years, the number of people of people, people claiming asylum because they're gay and persecuted went up by 300%. What, would you still just quote those figures? Or do you say, we've got to grasp this? I, I don't know the fucking answer. It's really but to complex. claim it's not, an, you know, it's not part of the issue seems facile. Yeah, it's really, really complicated. It is conceivably the case. I'd like to see the evidence, though. I'd like to see how they quantify that. How do you know... Are there cases where people have lied about being gay to get in? If there are, how often does that happen? We haven't been told mm -hmm. any of these situations. Elton John's intervention just goes to show that he doesn't understand the situation. He describes uh, LGBTQ plus people around the world. Those are two oppositional things within that statement. You know, in mm -hmm. Iran, for instance, the T is fine. In fact, in Iran, if you're gay, the state will pay for you to have a sex change because then they heterosexualize you and it's fine. Up until recently, Pakistani government was doing exactly the same thing. It's not true that LGBTQIA+, and anyway, the Q plus stuff is just straight people with a kink, as far as I can see, and they're legal. Well, I did think that, like in a lot of these countries where there are many pluses facing persecution. Uh, I, what I this think is that... about is gay people. This is about gay people. Mostly. Oh, yeah, I'd imagine the overwhelming majority is, is about gay people. Yeah, of course, it's completely about gay people, but of course, once again, we get force-teamed with all of this other stuff, which completely denigrates and undermines gay rights. So, I mean, force you know, team does sound like one of those things that you look up to find a definition of getting force teamed. You know, you know, like a oh, category. I see what you mean what, like one of those porno terms? Yeah, yeah. Like, who are you <laughs> into? Daisy gets force teamed. Is that? I don't know. I'm, it's not the sort of thing I would ever Google. I, I mean, I, I love the fact that you put the most, uh, the strongest sexual term opposite the name Daisy. <laughs> I mean, well, I've been saying this little, in my like, how little knowledge I have of heterosexual phenomena. I mean, you could easily say Steve gets forced. I think force teaming does yeah. seem like it, 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 it would exist. I mean, one of, I've been talking about porn kind of uh, clip titles in 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 my current tour, and I was saying that they are both one of the most brutally named but honest things you'll ever see. Where the way that they describe it is the one area of life that's just totally politically incorrect. It would just say black guy and a white guy and a fat woman and it just it's the most <laughs> literal because you sort of think oh what, what a way to term it and then you watch the clip and you go I mean that was what happened 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they can't be accused of false advertising, can they? No, no. And, and it's, it's they, you know, it would be weird if they were being sort of delicate in their sensibilities about the way in which they describe their cast members. Well, it is. I mean, that is like even even in porn, like the romantic category. When when you watch yeah. that stuff, you got. I mean, it, it still ends up. With... I think as soon as you're being cast as an actor because of the the uh, the length of your penis, you can't really then complain <laughs> if you're being sort of degraded in the description. I don't think. I what are you, what are you are you telling me that the guy called Whitezilla is uh, <laughs> he, he he's going to have a rebate? I just want to be called my name, which is Gavin Williams. Not not the think, Gavin, not Lord Williams. Although Lord Williams does also sound like a porn star with a massive cock. It does, it does rather. I mean, but all actors are kind of have to. I I have a friend, an actor, and she was uh, her agent phoned her up one day and said, "Look, I've got this great role for you. It's the nurse, TV role. Go and read for that." And she turned up, and the script that she was given said, "Fat nurse." So then wow. you know that. <laughs> but the agent left that bit out, um, and she well, didn't even I, get the part. I think this is classic what most people think territory, where we've we've had, I think, for the most part, a very grown-up discussion about Suella Brotherman's uh, speech, and it's ended up with us making jokes about porn. All right, we're going to talk about the Rishi rebrand, because conference is starting, so by the time you listen to this, he may not have made his speech. At a guess, uh, prediction is that he was a lot of head-bobbing, and look, I just want to grow the economy, and that weird sort of CBB-style kids presenter um that he does that he does so well it's interesting i've seen a lot of interviews with tory activist members and ministers from conference and and they've obviously got to talk it up right but it, it did remind me of i don't know how much you like your cricket but often in cricket when a team are clearly going to lose they they have an overnight interview where they've got to chase 514 runs which has never been done before but they go before the cameras and say well you know like you know i think we've got a great chance and as long as we have a good start and things go away and the weather stays off and we have a good partnership <laughs> and you just think like well it's i, I just I don't know if I'm being too too negative. I, I don't see any way for them to that it won't at least be Labour as the biggest party. Yeah, wouldn't it be so refreshing if Rishi stood up at the conference and said, "Look, we all know we're not going to win, right? So let's let's think in terms of long term here. What, yeah. what what do we do once we're out of office? What do we do to get back in? I think he'd win a lot of plaudits for that. I think that people would be so. Well, we just said let's have a laugh. Let's just chill out. Let's just chill out and express ourselves. <laughs> you know those things that you worry will lose you your seat or make you have to stand down. Just fucking say it. Do you know what well, I mean? This is why I love at the Lib Dem conference. You know they're having these big in-depth discussions and even internal rebellions about their housing policy. You know where the membership turn against the leadership uh, on their U-turn. And you kind of think, well, you're not getting in. So what's what's the point? Why are you why are you even doing it? Just just have a laugh. Just get get pissed. And well, the, the Lib know. Dems are sneaky, man. Because what the Lib Dems can do is because there's no scrutiny on their national agenda. They go around all these little by elections, right? So they can they can say one thing in kind of West Byfleet and a completely different thing in Tamworth, right? Because no one really yeah. scrutinised what's their national plan. They say, what are you here? You NIMBYs. We're like, fucking so are we, mate. Fucking hate building stuff. Yeah. By the time they get to Tamworth, they're like, we're housing, housing, housing. So I guess the, the thing that could happen for the Lib Dems is once it becomes a general election, the kind of uh, contradictions in their politics might become clear. Yeah, and of course, there is always the possibility of a coalition. I mean, although Ed Davey said he's... Well, he said he's ruled out working with Labour... In the up and coming up to the election, but he hasn't ruled out a coalition afterwards. Which seems a bit unfair to me. It's a bit like mm. Labour does all the hard work and wins, and then we'll just we'll just uh, we'll we'll force team afterwards if we want. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> get, get, get absolutely <laughs> force team by Ed Davey. Um, the, I mean the Rishi the Rishi thing that he's trying to do because he was out uh, over the weekend doing interviews and stuff. A big interview of Laura Koonsberg. and and the idea was that he was going from Mister Steady to Mister Change. So he came in, and it was fair to say the pound was tanking, interest rates were going up vertically. You know, he he had to be the steady guy for a while, but now he wants to pivot to the change guy. The problem is, is being the change guy when he's already been the change guy because he was already chancellor, and then he was the guy yeah. that lost, and then he was the prime minister that had to steady the ship. In in the world of a Tory party that have be, already been in thirteen years, I was sort of thinking, you know how Marvel, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, has had to, to open up this thing called the multiverse because that's the only way of keeping these fucking characters. And these stories going is that Rishi might have to do like a, a sort of mini series where he just goes back in time, says a couple of things differently, changes a couple of things because I, I think it is it's quite you know I feel for him in a way but like it is it's a tall order isn't it to be the change guy after after thirteen years 
Uh, well, also, no one's going to believe it. I think you should go back to the underdog tactic. Do you remember he did that against Liz yeah. Truss? Never underestimate the underdog. Uh, mm. It didn't win. He didn't win. Uh, but that, I thought, was a... Uh, you should go back to that. Because, like, it's in that case, it was just that Liz Truss lost, effectively, in the, in the yeah. end. Because of her mini-budget, and he came in. So the only way he's going to get in power next time is if Keir Starmer does something absolutely outrageous it would have to be i mean what stan would have to do it would have to be something like he he was funding a, like a militia that were involved in like the worst anti-west yeah fingers pro, crossed pro ira anti anti-democracy anti-lager maybe i mean i think we're talking at that sort of level it would have to be something pretty criminal i think well rishi i mean one thing I think about Rishi is like when they show these word clouds, you know these word clouds that show what the public yeah. think of people and the word rich comes up a lot. If people keep saying that you're rich, right, you cannot get away from that. I've, I've thought for a while that maybe he's like, you know, like Eminem, Eminem at the end of 8 Mile where he says, I, I did grow up in a trailer park. I did get jumped. You know, you did, this guy did fuck my girlfriend. I think he needs to start just saying... That yeah, I'm fucking really rich. Like I am, my coffee cup is three hundred dollars, and I have got Just owning it. Well, what other choice does he has? And then he goes, be rich, be rich like Rishi. That's what I would say. That would be the but campaign. It, at least he's, he's not denying it. I mean, you know, Keir Starmer did go to a private school, which was originally. Uh, I think it became a private school halfway through his schooling education. So he he's got. I know that that I, was, I saw something about that that was contested. I can't remember exactly. I yeah, think it was. It, after he'd gone or... No, no, it's while he was there. So definitely while he was there, it became a private school. He was an affluent person. He um, he keeps talking about his dad being a toolmaker. His dad owned the factory, you know, so... Is that, think... is that confirmed, though? Because I've seen... Loads, you'd think that this would be possible to verify one way or the other. Because, I, yeah, I've seen that claimed. I've seen the opposite claim. If you Google it, it's really... I mean, it's almost up there with finding out how many kids Boris has got. Like, But, 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 then, <laughs> but then ultimately, does it matter? Like, I think... I think maybe we stop worrying about how rich or poor Starmer and Sunak were in that. And they both mm. obviously come from reasonably privileged backgrounds, but you know, you can tell, I mean, that's fine. But the, but the idea that that's a problem, I, to me, I don't care. I couldn't care less. Well, if, if this was Donald Trump, okay, what would Trump do? He'd go, you're, you're damn right. I'm richer than this. Smuck. Exactly. <laughs> Americans. Do you want me to actually Google and see if Keir Starmer was, uh, uh, whether his dad was the owner of the factory? We could, yeah, we could Google that. And, and meanwhile, I think that what, that what Trump would do, he would come up with a funny nickname for Keir Starmer. You know, like he calls him Sleepy Joe Biden, yeah. Sloppy this, Sloppy that. He would just go kind of like cash poor Keir or something and, and just start undermining him. Here we go. So that actually each, okay, so each website I'm Googling is telling me the exact opposite. This is honestly, what I mean. they're all, they're all like, so there's one here, uh, the Squawk Box, which is a, a sort of a left-wing website, uh, which is saying that uh, that the, he's quoting Keir Starmer saying that his dad works in a factory, etc. And this is saying that this isn't true and that he actually did, uh, his dad did own the factory. So, but that's a left-wing site that's bound to hate Keir Starmer, right? I mean, so, yeah, no, it's quite hard, reasonably hard. Well, I suppose what, what Keir Starmer would call hard left, but might not be oh, that yeah, hard. Yeah. But then remember, uh, the left in the Labour Party hate him. They really, yeah, they hate. really do. Yeah, no, I'm, so, I'm starting to see to see that more and more. They, right. it's going to be. I think we gonna... don't know, do we? We don't know. Let's just say we don't know his background. But I, like I say, I don't care. I don't. I just don't care. No, no. And I also think, from Starmer's point of view, this doesn't necessarily play out badly either way. Because at some point, his dad wouldn't have had money, so he can say, "All right, yes, my dad did eventually own the factory, and he did that through blood, sweat, and tears." <laughs> so, so I, I, I don't think he can lose. And his mum was a nurse. I mean, if so if all else you... fails, my mum was a nurse. We're going to do a quick hype here. Uh, just some more new patrons. Remember, anybody joining as a patron gets their shout out. Martin Sharp, who again, I think, I feel like that's a Martin Amis character uh, who would just be an example of nominative determinism. So Martin Sharp would be the, the sort of guy that ends up fucking over the main character financially. Uh, Andrew McKenzie. Uh, Andrew McKenzie? A Andy Mack. I bet his mates call him Andy Mack. Is Andy Mack going to be there? <laughs> and, and and there's also the other guys, Andrew Wan. So it'd be Andy Mack and Andy W, the two Andys. And they sort of secretly hate being lumped together just because they're called Andrew. They don't really understand why the fuck it's happened. 
I had you... that at school. It was one of four Andrews in my class. Can I ask you this? Has anyone ever called you Drew? Yes. One person, a friend of mine. How do you feel about that? I found it endearing coming from him. Uh, but, uh, but the, you know, it's just like a sweet nickname, you know? It, it, it's just the, as a word. It, I think it sounds quite downbeat. Drew. Drew. Uh, yeah. It, it, Andy, he's quite... fucking Andy's on his toes, isn't he? Andy's awake. He's had a coffee. Drew just sounds like... Yeah, it's also an odd way to shorten a name is to take the last syllable. I can't think of any other uh, name where that happens. I yeah, if someone actually... called me Free, yeah, hey, Free, <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would have been my name if my parents had been two hippies that had taken shit loads of acid. And and also Andrew Wand. I don't know if that really is um... Andrew Wand, as in magic wand. Yeah, Andy Wand. It's a very phallocentric name. Not not just because of the wand, but because Andrew means ma- manly. You oh, know, does from it? The, from the group. Manly Wand. Manly Wand. <laughs> There's another porn star name. Um, right, just before, if, if, Andrew, if you've got anything to hype, do so in a sec. But I can now reveal, and hopefully not be seen as too uh, exploitative or, or capitalising too much, but new tour dates for next year. So like I say, most of the autumn leg is sold out. There's still a few tickets knocking about, so have a look. But there are a lot of tour dates next year all over the country. It's equally as big as the autumn leg. And we've got new dates in Grimsby. Never been there before. Very excited to go to Grimsby. I've got dates in Stroud. I've got dates in Derby. People have always asked me, when are you coming to Derby? And the answer was, well, not if I can help it, but I am coming to Derby now. Uh, and Leeds, the City Varieties, that brilliant venue. I'm going to do another date there. The last one sold out. So if you couldn't get tickets for that, do come along to Leeds. And then at the end, so both the two London dates in the autumn sold out. So we're going to have a third London date and it's going to be the big one. Wimbledon Theatre. I'm going home, everybody. Again, I think it's April the 28th, the very last date of the tour. So if there's anyone that wants tickets in and around the London area or any of those dates or any of the tour that I've just mentioned, go on Live Nation. Go into or just search Jeff Norcott tour. You'll get there. And all these new tour dates are there. And I hope to see you out on tour. Uh, Drew, what what you got? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I suppose I could uh, talk about Comedy Unleashed, of course, because I I run this uh, comedy night in London and Leeds. So um, I'm actually headlining Comedy Unleashed in London on on November the 14th. Uh, And our next show is October the 10th. uh, but we've also got um, the Leeds gigs, which we've only just started doing recently, and they're going really well uh, at the Hi-Fi Club, and that's every first Friday of the month. Good club, so the that. Really, really nice. A good comedy venue with the, the red brick wall at the back. Yeah, it's really great, and and it's selling out every night, and um, and the London gigs are... You know, we had this... During the pandemic, our gigs slowed down, as you can imagine, and now they're selling out way in advance every show. But, that, but that's um, because you deliberately got somebody cancelled from a gig and ended up doing a gig outside the Scottish Parliament, so... That was it, yeah. That that and it worked. You know, the plan worked. And uh, my what other devastating? <laughs> what else are you? <laughs> what else are you going to make progressive people cancel? You devious! Yeah. I love what they said. They said that we deliberately chosen an LGBT venue and programmed Graham Linehan, knowing that there would be a reaction. But but I am LGB. I'm gay. I'm gay. like that. Sure. Why wouldn't I book a gay venue? Well, you're to be your, but, but I mean, that's easy to dismiss. You're pretending. And you're pretending, pretending, and you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to prove it to Suella Braverman. Yeah, I've thought about that. You're going to have to get force teamed in front of Suella. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to end on talking about male mental health. And the problem with saying that is I do understand there'll be a lot of blokey blokes that will listen. As much as I've had loads of people online saying, go ahead with your campaign and stuff, there are a lot of blokes that are are resistant. So please be reassured that I'm never going to be very far from making a flippant, probably politically incorrect joke about male depression and and, and a lot of things. But I think... um, you know, the, the events of, of, of last week, I, yeah, I want to kind of move on to more kind of constructive things. And one, one thing that has come out in several discussions, and it was something that I mentioned in the chat itself, is that if, if women have general problems in society, right, if there's a problem that's affecting women more than it does men, we look at, well, what is, what is society doing to make women do that, right? It's like women are being compelled to act in a certain way, whether it's self-harm you know or or whether it's uh, depression and yet all of the male destructive behaviors are things that men are sort of electing to do and I thought that's a really simple binary line isn't it it almost comes from an old-fashioned sexist view that women are sort of sort of sponges of things and 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 
gullible and 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 um, suggestible in that way. Whereas men are kind of it doesn't matter if the guy's like a nineteen year old panel beater from Wigan. He's got total agency in his life. So if, if he decides to get really drunk and engage in a fight which gets him put in prison, that was all a conscious choice and he wasn't under any pressure to do that. So are we, are we sort of hitting an interesting point, uh, Andrew, where, where we, start, we start having to think that there are enough, there's enough evidence of specific challenges that men face that we either have to treat them both the same or, or both on merit? Well, you're on, you're on tricky ground insofar as... For any of this to be addressed effectively, you first have to acknowledge that there are general differences between men and women that require different strategies in terms of the approach. Uh, and that, of course, is anathema, uh, not just to um, the current sort of intersectional movement, but also to old fashioned feminists who spent a lot of time saying that there's basically no differences between men and women. But you'll notice that all of the criticism that's coming at people who are trying to address male issues is in of itself acknowledging those fundamental differences and talking about, well, why, why aren't you talking about the issues that specifically affect women, uh, which in itself is admitting that, yes, they are different. Um, and, and that's not to say that there aren't exceptions, but there's something about male depression, the fact that, as you've pointed out, it is the biggest killer of men under 50. There's something, the statistics are really shocking. There is something very specific about this problem that does require a targeted solution. Um, and that is not to denigrate you know, female suicide or female depression or anything like that. It's just that I think in order to resolve this, you have to uh, look at why specifically those stats are so high for men. And I don't know the answer to that, but unless you acknowledge those differences, you won't get anywhere. I mean, I suppose, you know, what most people think sometimes I just call it on, on, on a basic localised level, right? So is one of the reasons that men bottle up their feelings is because they still have people around them that would prefer it if that's what they did, right? We can talk about like what what mass what society wants from masculinity from a sort of liberal metropolitan view, and they're generally generally going to want more empath, empath, empathetic and compassionate men. But if you get to to women in more working class communities or women outside that liberal bubble, maybe yeah. like when when you're a, a wife, you know, and you've got three kids and stuff, maybe a, a, an emoting emotional husband isn't actually that convenient so between the both of you you recognize and i'm not saying this is just on women this is like a mutual thing that if i'm upset i will fucking go away and try and work it out myself because i can see that me feeling like that is unsettling the family unit the kids don't really want to see me like that so it is something that i'm naturally more isolated in yeah uh well, it is a tricky one. I mean, the argument sort of goes that it's to do with socialization. You know, like when a, a, a little girl cries, hmm. everyone will say, oh, what's wrong? When a little boy cries, they'll say, well, mate, stop crying. You've got to man up. Well, that's the myth anyway. I'm not so sure that's true. I think um, it's true. Is- I think it's, it starts at a certain age, but I think when they're little, I mean, from what I've, I've seen about having a boy in today's age, the boys cry lo- fucking loads. You know what I mean? And the girls, yeah, yeah. the girls just seem to be getting on with it more generally. But I don't think, I think, there are elements, of course, of social conditioning in terms of gender roles. I'm not denying that at all. But I think ultimately you're fighting against evolution. There, there, there are million years that there are evolutionary reasons why male pride is the way it is, hmm. uh, why the, the, the need to assert status is so prominent among men. It is pretty much ingrained in the DNA. And I think in that case, uh, rather than say, let's re let's reconfigure society so that men are more open about their feelings, that they'll go to the doctor when they need to, etc. all of those things. Let's acknowledge that they won't and then try and work out, well, what do we do about that? Because mm. that's, that's the reality of it. M- men and women are so different. Uh, nothing we do in terms of society is going to change the fundamentals that have baked into us. So let's just acknowledge that and see how we resolve it from there, I think, anyway. I mean, I, I think sort of the dialogue that I'm trying to have is, again, it's just about realism. If you start, because what I worry about from younger men's point of views is if they feel a certain way and, it, you know, it feels quite intrinsic to who they are and they're being yeah. told, or, or you don't, either you don't feel like that, you shouldn't feel like that, or you don't need to feel like that. It doesn't change the fact that they still feel like it. So I, I look at it more from what are practical steps that you can make to take the edges off things to make it easier. So, you know, one of the things about male loneliness, and I've quoted this in several co- contexts, and in the book is we don't really find out much about each other's lives you and I talk semi-regularly I don't really know what's going on like you know in the sort of social context of you and your family you wouldn't want to you but you and and you and you or you you why and and the truth is is that we don't because it's easier to not talk of, of these things right so if you were to say something like 
you know, when you go away with your lads, you know, or for a night out, just, just, is there one or two things you could come back with information wise? Not like, you know, like five a day fruit, you know, when they said that, they never <laughs> meant, they never realistically thought that everyone was going to have five pieces of fruit and veg a day. But what they thought was they might have two, right? So yeah. I think of it like that. Two a day, like just a little thing. When you're with your mate, it doesn't have to take long. You just go, if, if you know, and th- the problem with blokes is we do ask it in that closed way where we'll say, everything all right? In a way that says it fucking better be. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't yeah. want to hear the alternative. And that's what I think maybe is the constructive dialogue is, like you say, recognising that blokes are inherently um, a little bit different and looking at mental health from that perspective. But I suppose there are a lot of women that would then say, well, you know, if you look at actual like medical care, a lot of that is framed from a male understanding. So that's true, actually. If that can happen with medical care, it could surely the opposite could happen with psychological care. Yeah, it's so difficult. And it's so far from my area of expertise that anything I say is going to be purely speculative. But I do wonder whether men have a tendency to be more present tense orientated insofar as uh, in, my, in, in, in in our current existence, we can only think of what's going on now. We can't see a way out of it. But as we all know from our own experiences of depression, of just feeling sad, mm. nothing is permanent. And I think people in that in that moment of utter depression and utter despair forget that it won't always be like that. And it just yeah. sort of helping people to understand that, that whatever you, however much you're catastrophizing, it, things will get better ultimately. I and mean, that's one of the things actually in terms of catastrophizing, one of the things that... Uh, cognitive behavioral therapists talk about is that is a major issue people's tendency to just assume something bad happens and they just cannot see anything but the worst possible outcome Mm. and maybe to to, to kind of help men to resist that tendency you know perhaps in it ironically i suppose they're over dramatizing which you would uh, think of a more as a feminine trait maybe it's men that do that one thing just to finish with, I've had loads of people like reaching out about great local work, not just with men's mental health. Some of it is just about feeling a bit better. It's not about pulling back from the brink, which also is a very blokey thing to do to only address it when it's at the point of total catastrophe. But they said where they lived, they'd, they'd, they'd sorted out a men's walking group, right? Like a, mm. just for blokes to meet up, go around this big park, walk and chat. And then um, there was suddenly a women's walking group because they were like, well, the men are doing the walking stuff. And then the women's walking group reached out to the men's walking group and said, oh, why don't we all walk together? And I thought, fuck me. Like, and I just, this guy was just like in capitals, like, can we not have anything for our fucking selves? Like, yeah. this isn't the same as a gentleman's club excluding women. This is a specific like environment where we feel like we can. And look, this is only one women, woman that's done this. I'm not saying she spoke for in any way for anybody else. I just thought it was funny, like how spectacularly that one woman missed the point. Why, why is there, why is it so difficult to accept that most people, men and women prefer the company of their own sex? Just generally, I think that like that that mm. shouldn't be that controversial. I, I think it's just true. I've been to gay only events, and I don't think that's. I mean, I won't go into it, but you know, I, I, so I I've got I've snuck into gay only events, and then <laughs> there was one. Well, when I was when I was on the scene, you know, mid noughties yeah. quite a lot. There was one. We reached our gay point that we weren't allowed to go beyond. It was a night called, I think it was called Hard On, and um, yeah, yeah, pretty on the nose. And uh, me and my wife, we felt very oppressed that we weren't allowed. But then they told us what was happening in the club. And we thought, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember back in the day when you used to go to a gay club. And they used to say, you realise this is gay, mate. You realise, like, the because ba- the bouncers would always be straight guys. Yeah, yeah. And, they, you know, I was always quite flattered by that, that they assumed I was, I was straight and that I was going to have some kind of homophobic reaction. I, I, I thought that was quite good. <laughs> You're like, thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Doyle, as ever, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Obviously, keep up the excellent work you're doing, having conversations with people, you know, from all different backgrounds and stuff. And you do check out the Comedy Unleashed website now, not just London, uh, but Leeds as well. And uh, Andrew, thanks very much for being back on What Most People Think. Thanks very much, Jeff.